What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals podcast. Today, our guest is Fernando Angelucci. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, we're talking about self-storage. I love self-storage investing. It's a fantastic opportunity, both for active and passive investors. It's something that most people don't think about. They don't think that you can make just ridiculous returns on these concrete metal boxes. But what do you know, if you buy them right, there's a huge potential upside. So today we're talking with Fernando, a young guy who's had a ton of success in real estate, who got into self-storage investing and self-storage development, is doing huge deals in self-storage. We're talking about his strategies for, for finding deals, his strategies for vetting those deals, finding partners, mistakes that he's made along the way, and just everything up and down. I think this, he's, a, he's a great guy, fun to talk to, super knowledgeable, and he's got so much ahead of him in the world of real estate, or honestly, whatever he chooses to do, I think he's gonna be successful at. Fantastic lessons in this one, so if you're interested in at all in self-storage and making a great return on some real estate, this is a good one for you. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I love talking about investing with others who are not only interested, but who are dedicated to growing their wealth. This is an awesome interview. Like I said, I love my self-storage investments. They're doing very well, and I'm very happy to be in that space. I learned a lot on this one today, and if you're in the self-storage game or you want to get into the self-storage game, this is a great one for you as well. Without any further ado, here we go with Fernando Angelucci. Fernando, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to talk with you. Uh, could you introduce yourselves to our audience before we kind of you know, get into the topic for today? Yeah, so uh, Fernando Angelucci, um, 28 and based out of Chicago, I invest nationally in self-storage. Um, before I got into self-storage, I've done single-family flips and rentals, multi-family flips and rentals, hard money lending, uh, lease options, kind of everything in that rental residential space. Um, before that, like if I go a little bit farther back, uh, I've had a pretty interesting upbringing because um, there was kind of like an internal conflict, right? So both my parents are immigrants from Brazil and uh, they came to the United States with that whole United, you know, the United States dream, the American dream, uh, get really good grades, go to a good school, get a job at a fortune 500 company and retire with a pension. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. how many companies offer pensions anymore. Um, <laughs> None. <but> I, yeah. <laughs> Surprising though. Actually, I actually did all right. So I graduated from U of I with a ag bioengineering degree, ended up working nice. for a fortune 50, thanks, fortune 50 company. And then very quickly I realized that, uh, I'm not good at having bosses <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> so uh, within 13 months, I, I quit that job, threw away the pension, the expense account, the truck, you know, the whole shebang, wow. 401k match, and uh, started doing real estate wholesaling, single family, um, then immediately jumped into multifamily rentals, and then I started flipping single families, then started flipping multifamily, and I really just got... Just so tired of the tenants and just the evictions and all the issues. And, you know, they say it's passive, but once you actually start doing it, you realize it's not that passive, right? <laughs> right. So uh, once I, I came across self-storage, I was like, man, this is it. After I bought my first one, I sold all of my rentals, my multifamily and, uh, and uh, single families. I actually got two more single families to sell right now. I can't sell them because we're in an eviction, like stop in Chicago, you can't evict anybody. Yeah. Um, so I need to evict those two tenants, rehab the pl places and flip and I'll be done. 
Um, but yeah, I've just been on a tear ever since, just buying stuff. In the past maybe 16 months, we've bought seven self-storage facilities. I got another two wow. closing. Uh, one closing next week, one closing in a month, and then we got two in May, and then a ground up in July. Wow, that is awesome. And you're such a young guy. You've done so much. That's really, really cool. And um, yeah, I'm curious, before we kind of get deeper into the topic we're going to talk about today, are you sourcing your own deals through you know, mailers and such? Are you going through brokers? Or what's been your best uh, source for, for deals? Yeah, for, for self-storage specifically? Yeah. Okay, so it started off, you know, I, I was a wholesaler to begin with. So I kind of was really good at, at that direct mail game, right? So I just switched that over to self-storage. And deals started coming in. We started with a 7,000 owner campaign to begin with across 24 states, um, states that I really like, low, low property tax, not affected by, um, you know, any type of environmental hazards like hurricanes or, or you know, fault lines, stuff like that, earthquakes. Um, and then I started going on podcasts like this one talking about what I do and uh now half our deals come via referral people you know giving us a call that heard the podcast saying hey i have a deal i'm a multifamily guy i don't know how to underwrite this can you help me I say sure and then you know i help them underwrite and they say well you know can you help me get the equity and the debt for it too i said sure I can, you know i can do the whole deal 100%. for you <laughs> yeah why not so that's how we started and uh so now it's it's probably about 30 percent through the i call it push marketing the the text messages the phone calls the direct mail and then maybe you know 50 to 70% from the referral network not only investors but also brokers are starting to reach out and bring us you know i always tell brokers you know i feel bad for brokers cuz every investor is like oh i don't need you and you're only going to be bring me you know terrible deals yeah um, but i tell them it's like if you got anything with hair on it where like you don't even want to list it and you just want to push it off to a cash buyer i'll pay your commission that way you don't even have to try to get a you know a listing agreement signed for a you know, an $800,000 property, which is in the self-storage space is not a very big property, you know? Wow. That's cool. So that's, that's great to hear. I always love hearing where people are, are getting deals and you've got quite a variety of uh, sources there. So that's, that's awesome. And you know, today I wanted to talk about the resilience of self-storage when the economic waters, you know, get kind of rough and things aren't, aren't going well. You know, we're talking during the, the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, it, it, from my perspective, it only seems like it's going to get worse from here, both from, you know, the number of infections and deaths and economically and all of those things. Like you said, uh, residential properties in Chicago and many other parts of the country, including where I live, are on an eviction freeze right now, which is unfortunate, but people can't pay their rent. It's a rough, tough situation. So right. let's talk about what separates self storage from other asset classes when things get tough? Yeah, so first I'd like to kind of just use some data. So from 07 to 09, the S&P 500 lost 22% of its value. Um, the mortgage industry lost about 19 and a half. Uh, multifamily and residential uh, on a REIT level lost about 7% and mm -hmm. self-storage lost about 3%. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that and I think Number one, self-storage, we service people in transition, right? So if you're, you're going up in property size or you're downsizing or you're moving to a different market for a job, what, what have you, um, self-storage is there to service those types of clientele. And what you've noticed over the last couple drops is that 
if you have kids and you have to downsize, are you going to throw away like the macaroni paintings they made for you because you don't have space for it? Most people, 99% of people I ask, they say, no, I would never do that. Right. You're right. Um, but hemorrhaging another, you know, maybe 1200 square feet of your house to cut your mortgage payment in half. That's a much easier thing to do. And then go supplement that with maybe a 10 by 10 unit for an extra 80 or a hundred bucks. Right. So that's a huge, um, I think that's a huge reason why self-storage does so well in recessions. Another thing too, is when you have, uh, issues like this, what we're going through right now, a pandemic that is spread based on contact, you know, investments in multifamily or office or retail, these are all investments where there's close human interaction to each other. Self-storage, very rarely as a tenant, are you going to be coming across anyone else at the facility at the same time you are, right? It's very rare. It's usually you or maybe a couple people if it's a pretty large facility, but you're being already kind of socially distanced. Um, so I really like that, that, that portion, but I, I want to be careful because people always think, well, if an asset is safer, that also means that there is a lower downside or a lower upside to that asset. And actually for yeah. self-storage, the opposite is true. So let's look at a larger period of time, 1994 to 2017. Okay. Um, saw two crashes during that, that time. Um, the S&P 500 over that period of time, that 23, four years, whatever it is, it went up about seven and a half percent on an annual basis. Uh, residential and multifamily went up 13%. So that's pretty good. Um, but self-storage actually went up 17% on an annual basis. So that 4% doesn't seem like a lot, but you got to remember that's 4% compounding, right? So if you put a hundred thousand dollars into let's say an apartment building in 1994 that $100,000 in 2017 would be about 1.7 million if you put that same $100,000 in self storage in 1994 in 2017 that $100,000 would be a little over 4 million dollars so almost double what you'd get on the return from apartments and that's because that 4% is compounding annually so i wonder though you know can we project that moving forward, you know, is that trend still going to hold because, you know, things can't come uh, constantly compound, you know, right. infinitely, eventually, you know, we run out of space on the planet. So, you know, is that trend going to continue moving forward? And I think it's probably hard to make that projection. But right. that being said, you know, my self storage investment is one of my best performing investments, period. So right. it's done well for me. Yeah. And so I definitely agree with you that it can't be growing at such an exceptional level versus other more popular self, you know, uh, popular real estate investments. And I think the reason why is because over the last 10, 15 years, now all the mag fortune and money magazine, now they're starting to shine a spotlight on self storage where in the past it was like this ugly, you know, steel boxes by like a farm or anything. But now it's like a sexy asset, you know, you have these four-story class A regrade facilities. They look like really nice office buildings. They're sexy and, and cities want them and investors want them. Um, and I think it is a good hedge in a portfolio. So if, if you are an apartment guy out there, I'm not telling you to shutter all your apartments like I did, but maybe add one or two self-storage assets in there to diversify the portfolio. So when one is you know, usually self-storage, like I said, um, it does really well in recessions when apartments usually don't. 
And so you can kind of have a hedge on both sides. Yeah, you made another very good point about the the human contact aspect of it. And, you know, from from my perspective, uh, we are currently, I'm currently closing on a, an apartment property, you know, by the yeah. time this airs, we, you know, it'll be months past closed. So, sure. you know, it's already done. But, um, you know, we are deep into the process and we're comfortable that the property is going to be, you know, doing well based on its position in the market and everything and, you know, jobs and all that. But in closing apartments, if, if you're doing um, like due diligence right now, what are you going to go into 200 apartment complexes when you're supposed to be social distancing 200 apartment units? No, you're not going to, but with a, a self-storage property, your due diligence is still probably fairly straightforward. I mean, it's not like the people live in the units and just right. don't touch the services. You can figure out, you know, the physical condition of the property with, without a lot of human contact. Exactly. And most of our underwriting is done from a desktop um, by the time we have said yes and put down our earnest money, that's when we actually will physically go visit the property to do a site inspection uh, before we hire somebody to do the, the PCA. Um, so we already know we're going to buy it before we see it for the most part. Unless you find something glaringly a big yeah. problem. Yeah. And there's, there's been a few that there has been like that where, you know, we always ask the seller, you know, what's the condition of the property? If you had to rate it from a one to a five, five being brand new, one being let's tear it down. Like, where would you put it? And the only times where we have those issues is when a, a you know, a seller's like, yeah, it's a five, it's beautiful. And then I show up and there's like trees growing through, you know, the, the buildings <laughs> and that type of stuff. So yeah, but they say it's a five do, and it's really a two. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we do our site inspections. And then after we do the visuals, um, you know, we have c construction knowledge, but then we hire a third party to do um, not, uh, not only the phase one, but then also the property condition assessment, the PCA at the same time, which gives us a 10 year schedule of uh, deferred maintenance and when to address them. So that helps quite a bit. Nice. Nice. So how is this, you know, we're, we're not super deep into the uh, pandemic shutdown, at least from, from what I expect it to end up being, you know, it's, it's, towards the end of March right now in 2020, how has this impacted your business so far and, and your properties specifically? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been fantastic to be honest with you. So on one side, on the sourcing of properties, we have a lot more sellers coming out of the woodwork that maybe just held onto our letters in the past and are calling us because they want to get liquid because they're maybe they're, you know, acting out of fear and, they just want to have a good cash position on the flip side of the on the operation side, the ones that we already own, almost every one of our facilities have increased in uh, occupancy. The ones that haven't increased have stayed level and that's increases that are not seasonal because they're breaking, for example, on our assets that have already been stabilized, they're already breaking uh, ceilings. And when I say ceilings, I mean, uh, <laughs> They're, you know, something, a property that one of them that we have in Illinois is, usually sits around 85%. Um, that one has increased substantially uh, over the last four weeks. Um, so we're seeing actually an influx of people that have not rented in the past coming and, and, and I'm assuming renting units either because they're downsizing or, you know, what have you. Wow. So regarding at least you know, the current state of things in, in the Chicago area or, or where your properties are, yeah. you know, do these, without giving specific legal advice to anyone out there or any guidance or whatever, but have you seen any of these eviction freezes or anything like that that impact 
self-storage as opposed to, you know, residential real estate. Right. So no. So one thing to kind of establish is that in self-storage, you don't evict because there's not a person there. It's a, as opposed to being tenant landlord law, it's lien law. So it's auctions and those have not been frozen. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess anybody that's watched reality TV over the last decade has seen the storage wars and all that nonsense. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to, to host one in person. Everything we do is uh, online <laughs> auctions, which I think kind of takes all the fun out of it, but you know. Yeah. Well, my bet is rarely is it, you know, filled with gold bars and typically it is macaroni drawings and junk. That <laughs> right. <have> <laughs> We, uh, we put one up for auction the other day that had a, a full duck blind set up in a small boat. So that, I guess that was a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I think though, when you compare the amount that they spend a month on the place versus the cost of the boat and the cost of the duck blind, yeah. just sell that stuff and buy a new one. But that's just my opinion. It's crazy. Well, we even have some, when we take over some units and we start going through the rent rolls, we'll find some tenants that are, have been in that same unit for 10, 15 years. And if you look at how much they've paid in rent over that period of time, they could have built like a small self storage facility in their backyard, <laughs> like two or three times over, which is, I mean, it's, it's funny how, but you know, I'm not here to tell you to do that or not. Obviously I'm making some money off of it. So keep, keep storing your stuff. You know, I always joke around that, uh, that Marie Kondo is kind of like my arch nemesis because she's telling everybody <laughs> to get rid of everything. And I'm like, no, no, don't get rid of it. Leave, get rid of it out of your house and then put it into a storage facility. You know? <laughs> yeah, just get it out of your face, but keep paying right. to, to keep it somewhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in comparing like a, a typical, you know, you're buying a, a cash flowing self-storage property and a ground up development. How do you look yeah. at those uh, two different things? Because I can see it would take probably a lot longer to get all the permits and the plans and everything to, to build a, a facility fresh compared to buying an existing one. Right. So what are some of the differences there? Yeah. So specifically for us, you know, self-storage facilities are kind of classified into three generations. You have your first generation facilities, which are the just straight up metal boxes in the middle of a field somewhere. And there's no fencing, there's nothing. Then you have your second generation facilities, which have like high tech security. Maybe there's like a climate controlled office. And then you have your third generation facilities, which are the ones that are class A and REIT grade. Those are usually those big behemoths that you see that are multi-story and, you know, a hundred plus thousand square feet. Um, so that's the very first thing I want to distinct, be, you know, there are some builders out there that build the first and second generation still, but I feel like where a lot of the money is, is building these third generation facilities and then flipping them to to REITs once they're stabilized. Um, so the very first thing I look at is when we're going into a new market, I want to see that there is a, a large pent up demand, almost to the point where I could double the, the amount of square footage in the area and still not meet the demand. But then you got to also look at the local municipality for the ground up, right? Are they, are they receptive to it? Good. Are they too receptive? Meaning, once I build mine, are they going to allow somebody else to come in and build one right next to me? And then all of a sudden my rents drop. So we're looking for places that either are going to allow one or two more facilities and then put a moratorium on self-storage facilities being built. That's always very helpful. We also look for municipalities that are, you know, are willing to work with us um, and, and not make it a nightmare to, to get the process, you know, the property. Because like you said, I mean, 
before I even close on a facility for a ground up, we're spending 250 to maybe $300,000 on plans, permits, architecture, doing all the meetings, feasibility studies, uh, uh, geotech work, like it's, it is a lot of cost. And so you want to make sure you're not just throwing money into the wind and hope something sticks, right? So, well, yeah, absolutely. You want to know that you're making a, a good investment. And I wanted to ask about that, the investment upfront, uh, not just in money, but in time. I mean, no matter what piece of commercial real estate we buy, we're probably going to be putting down a pretty hefty amount of money to either lock it up or you know, do these studies and, and whatever. Right. But, you know, when you're, say, going on podcasts and people are sending you, hey, take a look at this deal. What do you think? You know, how long do you, how many hours do you need to invest in looking at that whatever packet or whatever it is till you decide this is worth my time or this is not worth my time because you know, it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of investigation in here. Yeah. Great, great question. So we usually will do it in phases. So it's almost like a pre-qualifying funnel. Very first thing we do is very simple. We just go onto Google maps. We go to where the site location is and then we just type in self storage and then zoom out. We call this kind of the polka dot test. If I see a bunch of little red dots showing that there's self storage facilities all over the place, it's probably already oversaturated in that market, right? Once it passes that funnel, then we start looking at, okay, what does the ground look like? Is it going to take a ton of, you know, am I trying to build into the side of a mountain or is it a flat prairie, right? Um, is it built, is this, is the ground look like it's primarily sand or silt? Uh, or is it more of like a clay base where I can have a, you know, a sturdy foundation? Um, we're looking at demand in the area, right? So, I'll look at some of the competitors and I'll see what are their occupancies. If they're stabilized properties, if they're at 90% or better occupancy, that's a good sign for me to bring a new facility online. And then um, after that, we look at the municipalities, right? We'll, we'll go through old recordings of, of town hall meetings and of, uh, of uh, like city meeting, city planning meetings and see if they're receptive to this type of thing, what type of questions, they have what type of objections they have to see if we can is there a way to handle these objections up front or is this gonna be a nightmare pulling teeth the entire process and let's just go find a, a, a lot that's maybe a mile down in a different township right so you mentioned about looking at competitors occupancies and I can see that in this kind of world that the information is probably hard to collect and it's not like you can go on you know whatever self storage facility.com and see you know, how many units they currently have occupied. So how are you going to estimate what your competitor's occupancy is? Yeah. So believe it or not, half of the time they, they do have their occupancy, not oh, really? blatantly, but what they'll do is they'll put like, okay, here's five by fives, here's five by tens, here's five by or 10 by 15s. And then you'll click on it to reserve it. And they'll say, we only have one left or we only have two left or, or they won't say it at all. Right. So you can kind of estimate based off that. But another thing that we do is we secret shop them, right? So we'll give them a call. Um, my partner, Steven's really good at doing this. And we'll say, hey, you know, we're a logistics company. We have found that our business thrives when the self-storage facilities in the area are at 90% or greater occupancy. And usually we're talking to a manager, not an owner, right? So they're not as guarded with their information. And they'll say, you know, are you at 90%? If we move into the market, we'd be willing to, you know, send you leads or whatever it is of people that are moving to, you know, to store at your location. And they'll say, yeah, you know, we're at 90%. And 
And usually at that point, you just kind of shut up and just let them keep talking. And they're like, <laughs> oh, you know, we're at 100% and we've never had a vacancy. Or sometimes they'll say the exact is like, no, we have more than enough space. And, you know, the owners, you know, super shitty. And I would <laughs> love if, would you make an offer on our facility type thing? So like, you know, so like they're, it's, it's, it's funny how much information you can get from the, the frontline managers. If you, as long as you just approach it in a non-hostile way and then just shut up, you know, ask them a question and just stop talking. That is so, uh, a classic, you know, not just negotiation tactic, sales tactic. It's all over the place. Just shut up and listen, you know, get them right. talking, just stop talking. Yeah. So that's, that's the first level is just kind of calling them. Once we get a little bit farther into the process and we decide to actually fly down or drive down to wherever the location is, then we start physically counting locks. So we'll go in and seek a shop again and say, Hey, I'm looking to, I'm looking to, you know, rent a couple units. Can you just show me around the facility or can I just walk around the facility? And then I go there with my phone and I, yeah. And I start counting which ones are managers locks, which ones are not locked with what, where are the auction tags, um, and that you can get a really good, and that's usually what we do to cross reference what we get from the managers over the phone. Interesting. I like that due diligence. Do you have those, uh, clicky counter things? You got two. Yeah, of them. I do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I like that strategy. That is, uh, that is definitely yeah. an interesting one. You know, self storage is not real complicated, you know? So it's, Everybody's always, oh, you got some software. And it's like, no, I just, you know, I just got this clicker here. <laughs> hey, at least you know you're, you're getting good data whenever you're, you know, clicking the yeah. clicker yourself. <laughs> I know the source of the data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Fernando, I got three questions I ask every guest at the end of the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? In education. So this is a difficult question. Um, I think the best investment I've ever made in my business is giving my time to help teach others. Because um, what I found is when you, you know, I like to approach everything within a, a mind, you know, mentality of abundance. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't think that there's some way that this person can reciprocate now, that doesn't mean down, you know, two, three, four years down the line. I have perfect examples of this. Uh, had a single family guy that reached out because he wanted to get into the self-storage game. I, you know, gave him my time. I gave him all my underwriting, my presentations, everything. And uh, all of a sudden, six months later, he calls me back. He's got four deals under contract. Wow. He's like, I need help closing these. He gives me 50% <laughs> of each deal for running it, right? So we closed on one. Uh, two Thursdays ago, and we got two that were, are closing in May right now. And those are deals that were nowhere in my funnel. I didn't, they weren't any in my marketing. So he found them outside. I would have never had access to those deals if it wasn't for him. Right. Wow. 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 I really appreciate that. I mean, the abundance mentality, the abundance mentality mindset, if you'll, you know, pardon the, uh, whatever double positive, um, I think it's huge, especially right now, as you know, we are going through some tough times right now. And, and I think it's probably going to last the rest of 2020, at least economically, you know, yeah. it's still, it's, it's tough to keep that abundance mentality, you know, in your head, everybody wants to, you know, go fill their SUV with toilet paper and put right. it in a storage unit or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, on the other side of that best investment coin, what is the worst investment you ever made? 
Oh, it's uh, this one's easy. So uh, when I was just getting started out, this is kind of a convoluted. It's, it was an apartment deal. Mm. Um, it came to us as originally as a hard money deal. So somebody needed some funds in the second position uh, to take down a deal. All the numbers looked pretty good um, at the time. And uh, as we started going throughout the deal, the investor defaulted on us within like two months of, yeah, not only did she, de she defaulted on us, she de defaulted on the first. So the first was threatening to foreclose. So instead of just cutting my losses at that point, we decided to go and try to buy off the first so that we owned both, both positions. Mm. We ended up getting that done and we found out once we visited the property. So mistake number one, we never physically put eyes on the property, right? Mm. Mistake number two, we didn't vet the borrower. Uh, once we physically got to the property, we already had maybe $186,000 invested in the property. One of the properties got demolished by the city. It was uh, some fire code issues, then they demolished it. The second property was a frame property and apparently the previous owner, which happened to be the person that was holding the first mortgage to the borrower, we didn't know it was a seller finance mortgage, right? Oh boy. Again, another mistake. Yeah. Um, turns out he was a slumlord for the last 30 years in this tiny podunk, middle of nowhere, community of maybe 5,000 people in like the county, right? Wow. Um, we found out that he was replacing pipes with caulk tubes and duct taping them, like so many issues. We tried to sell it, we tried to put money into it, and in the end of the day, I should have cut the losses earlier. We held on to it for two to three years trying to make something happen. You know, sunken cost theory. Oh yeah, and, right. God. And in the end of the day, we ended up selling it to a wholesaler for 20 grand. Wow. That is a big loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you say are probably the top one or two like lessons out of that? I mean, there's a physical yeah. due diligence and then I guess not, uh, if you'd gone there, you might've avoided a lot of this loss. Oh yeah, absolutely. The physical due diligence on its own would have avoided a lot of this. The, the figuring out who I was doing business with, right? Not only the borrower, but who was the borrower attached to? So that, that seller finance mortgage was a nightmare. Um, the second we took it over, the city started hitting us with lawsuits and fines. They're like, well, he was, he, you know, would fight us tooth and nail, like you're a new target, so we're coming after you. So if I would have just called the city and just said, hey, what do you know about these properties? That would have that saved us so much. The money wasn't the biggest loss. It was the amount of time and stress that we put into that deal, that was the biggest loss, right? Wow, yeah, that's huge. And well, I, I mean, I, I, I talked to a lot of successful investors, obviously, and everybody has some kind of story of, of loss, or I made this mistake and I'm never gonna make this mistake again. And that's the way you learn sometimes is losing time, losing money, losing sleep. So, uh, you know, I definitely- Success is built on the rubble of your failures, right? <laughs> so what I always tell people is like, don't be afraid to fail because you're gonna fail. Just try to fail as fast and as often as you can in the beginning when the stakes are low. You know, that was only like a hundred something thousand dollar loss. Can you imagine if that happened later in my career now that I'm doing these 10, $20 million deals? Like that would devastate not only me, but then the entire staff that I have below me that count on me for their paychecks, right? Yeah, wow, that's huge. 
So that leads very well into my favorite question at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I think it's to really take the time with everything that you're doing, right? Make sure that you're, you're doing your due diligence, not only on the deals, but on the people and don't ever make a decision when you're rushed. A lot of the issues that came from that decision is because we had this, what I thought was a hard deadline, but it was really more of an artificial construct. So we had to act fast. And when you're trying to act fast in most of situations, that's when you're going to make mistakes. Now I'm not saying be a turtle and, you know, get analysis paralysis on any deal because usually action is better than inaction, whether you're right or wrong, but, give yourself time to, to sleep on it and to think on it. That's interesting. I, I like that a lot. And, and a lot of this conversation bleeds into things that I'm seeing happening right now, especially as, you know, things are uncertain. Many of the things you said, you know, I'm seeing people on these um, multifamily investing, especially Facebook groups saying, Hey, are you foregoing physical due diligence because you can't walk these tenants units because of the coronavirus? And no, absolutely not. Uh, or are you, doing a like walking watching the broker's walkthrough video for your due diligence no way i wouldn't buy a car if i couldn't test drive it first why would i buy a 10 million dollar property if i couldn't walk through it before i buy it exactly yeah so the this the the rush i can see definitely is is going to kill a lot of people so appreciate that yeah, well fun. Fernando, thank you for everything today. You know, I, I love your your story. You're, you're a young guy and you've done so much. So that's awesome. Very happy to uh, have connected with you today. If, if folks listening out there want to connect with you as well, where can they find you? Yeah, across all social media. Um, my handle's The Storage Stud. So <laughs> just came up with that a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, my partner, Steven, and my friend Terry helped me out with that. Um, yeah, so if you want to connect, I think I got a website finally hooked up to that as well. Uh, check out Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We're all over it. Nice. Um, and then if, if you have deals or if you have questions on how to underwrite deals or you need capital to partner on your deals, we have all those things. Feel free to reach out. Awesome. I love that. I, I really, uh, I've, I've said it before, I think self-storage is a great uh, asset class to invest in and a lot of busy professionals out there do not know that there are both uh, active and passive opportunities in self-storage. So right. I definitely appreciate that. And the, self, the the storage stud, is. did I get that right? Yeah. The storage stud, I like that, I like that. And it's uh, very memorable, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks once again, and uh, I definitely appreciate your time. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A very big help. If you know anyone out there who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thank you for tuning in. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well. You're, you're succeeding throughout this pandemic. If it's still going on, I wish you all the best. Wash your hands. Take care of yourselves and your family. And we will talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.